Hello and welcome back to our Gilmore Girls podcast, Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism. Gilmore Girls is the coffee and we're the shot of cynicism. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Eleni. And on today's episode, we're going to be discussing episode 10 of season three. But before we get into that, Eleni has a story for us about the time she met Michelle in real life. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that today is going to be an episode where we talk about our lives a little bit more. Yeah, because I also have a story to share unrelated to meeting famous people, but we'll get to that soon enough. It's still important to talk about because fuck everyone. Yes. Um, yeah, so last week was my birthday. Yes, happy belated birthday to her, everybody. Everybody just chime in, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, no, that's (laughs) unnecessary. Because the older I get, the more I don't give a fuck about my birthday. (laughs) Um, also, it's a pandemic year, so, like, fuck that shit. True. Um, but I do have to say thank you to my brother and my sister-in-law for coming to Toronto to celebrate my birthday with me. Ah, yes, how was that? It was very nice, it was... It was nice. Um, yeah, I haven't seen them in like three months. So right. Yeah, it was nice to have family around. Um, and they were really good sports. And I'm happy that they had a good time. And I was happy to see them. Because it's been so long. Um, yeah, so they came. We celebrated my birthday a couple of days early. My, my actual birthday was the 5th. I got my free Starbucks drink. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, the barista sang happy birthday to me. Oh, wow. Which was above and beyond. Thank you very much, Starbucks. Um, and I did some work from home. And it was a nice, cool evening. Watched a movie, ordered out, because there was no way in hell I was cooking on my birthday. Fuck that shit. Yeah. Um, nobody wants to clean up their kitchen on their birthday. Are you insane? No. Um, I don't want to clean up my kitchen on a regular day, but that's neither here nor there. And as you told me living alone, you realize that, like, everything just requires cleanup. Oh, my God. I don't understand if other adults, quote-unquote adults, shall we say, feel this way. But I always feel, I feel like I'm always cleaning my kitchen. (laughs) I'm one person. It's not like I cook gourmet meals. You know what I mean? I'm a pretty decent cook. But, Jesus, I feel like I'm always cleaning my kitchen. It's weird, though. I feel like, I mean... I feel like if you live in a smaller space, like a, like an apartment as opposed to a house, I would assume that like just because it's a smaller kitchen or like in comparison to when you live in like when you lived at home, it feels like it just everything piles up quicker. Would you say I, that? I think that's what it is, though. I think it's because it's more easily noticeable when you're when you're in a smaller space. Yeah, I would think. Um, yeah, exactly. But it's also I think it's your space, too. So you care more. Yeah. I don't know. But anyways. <laughs> it's like no one else is going to clean this up, so I guess I have to do yeah, it. I guess I got to do it. And listen, let's be honest. Certain things don't bother me. Like, they would have bothered my mother. Yeah. Because um, I know I'm going to do it eventually. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, when things pile up, especially when you live in a studio, it's annoying. Yes. Um, all this to say, I wasn't going to clean uh, my my kitchen on my birthday fuck that uh, so it was a very nice birthday getting to the actual story uh I was 11 years old and I was doing that illegal work with my mother that we've talked about yes once upon a time <laughs> once upon a time when child labor laws weren't what they are now <laughs> uh, that's a lie because I feel like there was still something but um yeah so I was working with my mom and I had plans to be I had plans to see my dad that day. My parents are divorced. 
uh, were divorced. Um, so I planned to see my dad that day. I was really excited because um, it wasn't often that I got to spend my actual birthday with my dad. Um, so I remember his girlfriend was going to come pick me up. And everything was super set. I was happy. We were going to go pick up my dad after he finished his shift at work. And we are going to have a nice birthday dinner. Or so the story goes. Um, and I do have to say, like, when I tell this story, it, people always say, oh, your mom's so cool. And my mom is the fucking coolest. Because <laughs> my mother and my father were in cahoots for this surprise. Um, and my mother didn't care that my dad's girlfriend, I mean, I'm sure maybe she cared, but like, she never let it show that maybe she was upset when we talked about my dad's girlfriend or whatever, you know? Yeah. So I do have to say, like some divorced parents do, you know, mm-hmm. um, never pride, never was like, Oh, how was your weekend? What did you guys do? Like, you know, she was just very cool about all that stuff. So, um, kudos to my mother for that. Um, yeah, so my dad's girlfriend came to get us, came to get me at work, picked me up. And um, she told me that she had to make a quick stop before we went to go pick up my dad. Um, because his shift wasn't finishing uh, for a little while anyway. So she was just going to go make a quick stop at her friend's house to pick something up. And then we would go. And I was like, all right, whatever. Um, <laughs> so we get to the old port of mm-hmm. my which is where this errand was, supposedly. And I'm like, all right, so go do your errand. She's like, no, no, come with me. <laughs> and, like, shy 11-year-old Eleni was like, fuck that. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. I was like, no, I'm staying in the car. It's fine. She's like, no, no, come with me. She's like, it's hot. It's August. No, like, I don't know how long I'm going to be. I haven't seen this person in a while, so you might want to catch up. I was, like, insisting no, no, I'm going to stay in the car with the dog. Don't worry, because we had a do- our dog there, too. And she's like, she's like, you're being a brat. Let's go. <laughs> We're getting the- she's like, get outside. And I was like, Sounds oh. like social anxiety. Yeah, I was not. I was a very anxious child, by the way. <laughs> um, I didn't like meeting new people. Uh, I was a very awkward child. I was very, my, my, dad's, my dad's girlfriend was also French-Canadian. Mm-hmm. And back then, I was very insecure about my French-speaking skills. Yeah. Uh, even though, like, they were really great. I was still very insecure because I was, like, a little Greek kid who didn't really fit in in Montreal because my name wasn't a typical French-Canadian name, right? Yeah. So I was very insecure about my French skills, and I was like, I just know this person she's going to meet is going to speak French, and I don't want to fucking speak French. Anyways, whatever. So finally I'm like, fuck, I am being a brat. Like, let's just go and get this over with, right? So we go to this apartment building and I have to say it's gorgeous like, <laughs> very you know like you know what I mean when I talk about old school Montreal gorgeous right yeah like very European looking very but also kind I don't know how to describe it it's something you you'd only realize when you live in Montreal it's very old looking on the outside but very modern on the inside yeah um it's something that's very unique to Montreal uh, anyway, so we're going up the stairs of this building, and I'm, like, dreading it. <laughs> and at the top of the stairs, so we're now inside, and at the top of the stairs, I recognize this voice. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> so it is, Mich- well, the actor that plays Michelle. It's Yannick Crudel. And... So my dad's girlfriend and him are cousins. 
Oh, wow. I didn't know it was that. I forgot about that part of the story. Yeah, so they're cousins or, like, it's a weird family relation, but they're family, let's say. Okay. okay. And I knew this beforehand, but I never thought that I would be able to, like, meet him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I knew the relation, but, you know, like, he's in Hollywood, doing Hollywood things. <laughs> I didn't know <laughs> that I was going to get to meet him. So I was, like, I was kind of, like, <laughs> Yeah. I'm already a socially awkward um, 11-year-old. And he's like, hey, come on in. Like, I was just, I was, I, I think I blocked out. <laughs> I don't know what I was, but it was really something. And I do have to say, I know for sure he's not listening. <laughs> but if he was listening, he made me feel so welcome. Um, so sweet. Yeah, I think my dad's girlfriend had told him beforehand, like, I don't know what the conversation was beforehand and honestly I didn't even bother to ask because I was just so oh but I think they had told him like I'm a really big fan and I love the show and it was something that I watched with my dad and so he I remember him asking me a bunch of questions about uh, what I liked most about the show and I, I think somewhere in there in my like oh state I was like I love you on the show <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it got very awkward because like you, have you ever met a celebrity? Like, you don't know what the fuck to say. Yeah. No, I've met several. And it's kind of like, especially when it's someone who, like, you know on the screen so well. And it's like, this is very uncomfortable because I don't know how to act. I, yeah, that's, the, that's the thing. You don't know how to act. And yeah. it's even more awkward because this person is related to the person you're with. Yeah, that, that would be even worse. Yeah. So um, it ended up being that... <laughs> They they started talking about, like, family stuff because they also hadn't seen each other in a while. Yeah. And I was kind of grateful for the fact that they were talking. And I, 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 I whatever, I couldn't believe it. Um, and so I was, like, talking to the dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just remember him being very, very gracious, very kind. He led us into his home. Um, it was, by the way, at the end of the third season, so going into the fourth season. Okay. So, um, like at the height of Gilmore Girls, I would say. So, what? Sorry? I said interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was just freaking out. Um, I think we stayed like 20 minutes or something, maybe half an hour tops. And, um, yeah, he, he said, thank you for watching the show. Thank you for being such a good fan. It was a pleasure to meet you. Like, he was a very, very nice person. And he gave you a signed picture, right? So actually, that didn't come until later. Okay. So what happened was we went to go meet my dad. And my dad was like, were you excited? I was like, oh, my God, yes. I was kind of being a brat. I didn't want to get out of the car. But thank God I did. <laughs> so um, I was really, really happy. And then my dad pulls the gift out of wherever the fuck he pulled it out of. I don't remember that detail now. And I was like, but guys, my gift was already meeting you know, a celebrity. And he's like, no, it's something small. Don't worry, whatever. And so I pull out this poster and that sign that I posted on Instagram. And I was just like, (laughs) (laughs) so it has Lauren Graham's signature. It has Milo Ventimiglia's signature, Alexis Bledel, um, Melissa McCarthy, Yannick, obviously, and um, Miss Patty, Liz Torres. So 
pretty good as far as signatures go. And that's like that's like some that's a good collectible item just to have as like a fan of anything, I would think. Yeah, I was like, what the hell? <laughs> um, I remember my dad being, you like it? I'm like, yes, thank you so much. And I was like hugging and kissing them. So um, that's a really special memory for me. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, I never, I, I, as a child with divorced parents, you know, it could be tricky navigating holidays and birthdays. And you obviously want to be with your child during these special occasions, but it's hard to navigate with two parents and co-parenting and whatever. Yeah. So, um, turns out my mom was in on the surprise. Of course she was. Of course. So I also have to say kudos to my parents for like being in cahoots, Mm -hmm. um, and trying to make this the best birthday ever (laughs) for me. Um, like kudos to parents, any parents who put their bullshit aside. Yeah. Of like do what's best for kids. (laughs) Um, and it's also really special for me because. Um, I've said it before, like, we've gotten a little bit intimate on this show, like, when I've talked about my dad and uh, what it was like growing up. Um, It wasn't always easy growing up with my dad because he... He didn't always keep his promises. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, my dad had a lot of stuff going on that I won't get into, but, like, he didn't always keep his promises, so it was... I... My brother and I feel like had to adjust our expectations when it came to my father. Yeah. And we loved him a lot. He was a great dad. But, you know, some of the things that now that I'm older see weren't okay. But when you're younger, you kind of give your parents a pass. Yeah. So I remember birthdays. I remember just him talking sometimes, like making promises that I knew he was never going to keep. But you can't, you can't help but get your hopes up. Mm-hmm. So, um having a really special moment like that with him was something um, really great. I'm getting a little bit emotional. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was really, really great to have that moment with him to feel like I was actually um, listened to. Yeah. That this was one promise that he could keep kind of, you know? Yeah. Um, especially since it was something that we watched together and we enjoyed together. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I always think around, listen, around my birthday and around Christmas and around like big events, it's normal to feel a little bit lonely, I guess, if you've lost a parent. Mm -hmm. Um, But every time I think of my birthday, I know that that was maybe one of my best birthdays ever. Well, Um, clearly, 17 years later, it still left a mark. Well, yeah, for sure. And not just because, you know, Yannick was such a sweetheart and like went along with all this. Um, but also it's because, you know, I got to have that moment with my father. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> it was really great. And I wonder if he remembers. <laughs> is, so is the actor, like the actor obviously lived here then, right? In, in the city? Yeah. When you say here, yeah, Montreal. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, he gets, so the thing is he's a twin. Okay. Um, and I had met his brother a couple of times at his apartment um, for, like, my dad's girlfriend's son's birthday parties and stuff. Yeah. So, um, very nice family, by the way. Like, very sweet. My dad's girlfriend's mom was a sweetheart. I still remember her fondly. Um, but, yeah, so I had met him a couple of times, and it was always like, oh, like, he's in L.A. filming the show, whatever. But I guess in the 
can we call it the off season? Yeah. Here, I didn't really get very many details. You know, you're starstruck kind of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I guess he kind of lived there when they weren't filming. Oh, interesting. Interesting, which makes sense. Uh, but yeah, so that's a really fond memory. I don't know if he knows how much it meant to me. Um, if this story ever finds its way to him, I would like to say thank you to him again for making a very awkward 11 year old girl feel, uh, loved on her birthday <laughs> Yes. and for being a part of a very nice memory that she shared with her father. Well, hopefully he'll listen to our podcast, even though Scott Patterson is definitely not listening. Oh my God. Are you still on that? Like, and Amy Sherman Palladino is never listening either. Why? <laughs> I think we bashed her a few too many times. We did not. We noticed some inconsistencies. We're good. Okay, fine. Playful criticism. Yeah. So if you can all find it in your hearts to tweet at him <laughs> and tell him that I still remember him fondly. Um, no, I'm kidding. But it's enough. It's, it's enough. I think it's enough for you guys to know um, that he really is a sweetheart. Yeah. And that he was part of something really big in my life. It may not have seemed very big to him. He took half an hour out of his day and he got to see his cousin kind of. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I don't know how much, I don't know what he knew about my father and our relationship, but um, it was a big moment for me. So 17 years later, thank you very much. <laughs> um, and it's something I'll never forget. I could see him being a sweet person in real life. That, that, that seems reasonable. Honestly, I think they're all sweet in real life. Like, <laughs> they all No, but you know, like when you watch some shows and you're like, I bet this person is a sweetheart in real life. Yeah. I get, I get that vibe from the majority of the cast. I don't know about you. I think with certain shows, yeah. I think I think it also depends well, I'm on kind of this show. <laughs> yeah. And I think like the environment of Gilmore Girls was also very like wholesome and welcoming and warm. So like even if you maybe didn't have like the same experience with that actor on a different set, like I think maybe on Gilmore Girls everyone was kind of sweet. Yeah, I don't know. For me it was um I haven't met very many celebrities, but, um, you know, you hear some horror stories sometimes. Oh, for sure. Um, this was something really, really great. And, uh, again, thank you to him. <laughs> and uh, it's always going to be one of those things that I look back on um, as not only a great memory with my father, but also um, I've said it a couple times on this episode, but I want to reiterate, my mom is a badass. <laughs> <laughs> like, Kudos to all the parents that that do things for their kids, even though, like, they're like, ugh. <laughs> it's true. You know? So that was my lovely little story. Every year on my birthday, I kind of think of it. And because I recently moved and I had my mom bring a bunch of my stuff, I was like, please don't forget my Gilmore Girls poster. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, I mean, every time I look of it, I, I, I think of my dad and I think of that day and I think really nice things. <laughs> so, um it's like a little piece of home in my new home. Yeah. And, and like this, you know, 17 years later, we're still talking about this show on a podcast. So at least it's like it holds it holds up in time. Yeah. Um, this show will always I know it's because I love the show. And then but um, I feel like it's a really good time to remind people that as, as stupid as it may seem, as silly as it may seem like shows and movies and music like they have the ability to 
I don't know, they create memories. You create them like, I don't know. I don't know how to vocalize what I'm saying because I may be still very emotional. <laughs> but it may seem silly. But, you know, the fact that I used to watch Gilmore Girls with my dad and all these years later, like I'm talking about it on a podcast. Mm-hmm. It's another way for me to honor my father's memory and to to think of him, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. I, I think I think especially with like like such um, like warmly loved shows even from a long time ago I think that's what like obviously the shows themselves hold up with like hold up over time but I think at the same time um, like the 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 space that the show takes up in the in the lives of its fans is also like part of that oh for sure and you know like when I think about um, shows like this that have had such a big impact on me. Um, you know, you think of, I think of my parents sometimes, like, or when I talk to my uncle nowadays, and he's like, oh my god, I remember watching this episode way back when, and he always has a memory attached to it, mm-hmm. and I never thought I'd be old enough to be doing that, Yeah, <laughs> but I am now, <laughs> and um, it's a little scary it, yeah. that, I, that I'm old enough to be like, oh, remember when, <laughs> <laughs> but um, there's something really great about the nostalgia factor. I don't know. You, and you don't realize that until it hits you, because like you're not you were you weren't old enough to have to have really felt that, you know? No, of course. And like when I think of Gilmore Girls, it's it's a little bit different for me because I got into it with my dad. Uh, we watched it together. My dad would kind of explain because I was too young to kind of understand some of the references, so my dad would explain them to me. I have good memories attached to it, and I also have bad memories. So this is obviously a good memory, but I also remember the first episode of Gilmore Girls I watched the week of my dad's funeral. Mm-hmm. And I remember being really insistent that I watch it. Everyone yeah. was at my grandmother's house. And I was like, oh, it's nine o'clock. Gilmore Girls is playing. I'm going downstairs to the basement to watch it. Mm-hmm. And that may have seemed like a shitty thing then. <laughs> but it was a way for me to kind of feel close to my dad um, during that really difficult time. Yeah. So, you know, I... Sh- movies and television shows and even music have a way of bringing stuff out in us so mm-hmm. the arts are important people <laughs> <laughs> don't defund them don't defund them um but yeah so that was my little story such uh, a lovely story it's a lovely story yeah it kind of dragged on but whatever <laughs> um but yeah so happy birthday to moi <laughs> and uh if uh, Yannick Trudel is ever listening merci beaucoup Yes, and, uh, you know, recommend us to all your actor friends. Yeah, and come on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But Jeffrey, I don't want to linger on this very long because you also have a story. Yes, I do. On a very different note, actually. It's not, I'm not going to say it's an unpleasant story, but it's like a very different story and tone comparison to yours. Yeah, but can I say something? I think people need to hear it. Yes, for sure. Seeing as how you were the one who said we should talk about this. No, I definitely, listen, once we get into the story, you'll understand a little bit more, but I also have a perspective on it, Mm -hmm. a unique perspective on it, and I think it's important that we talk about this, so Mm -hmm. please, um, please do. (laughs) Okay, so um, last week, last Tuesday, um, I had a new article come out uh, that I I wrote for Book Riot. Um, You can find the link on our Twitter page, at Gilmore Podcast. Um, 
And it was basically just a like an essay, like a personal essay that I had written about how, um, like even during a pandemic, the library is still the only place that I feel safe. And that was the title. Like the title was why the library is still the only place I feel safe even during a pandemic. <laughs> and I basically wrote it just because like the fact that, um, you know, for four or five months I hadn't been to the library, like that was a big thing for me just because um, like the library is just always the place that I go, even like when I, even when I'm stressed and like shouldn't be going to the library, like that's still the place I'm going to go just to feel less stressed. Cause I just always feel calm there. Yeah. Especially in the last few years. So it was just, it was just a big like chunk missing from myself throughout the pandemic. And so when I was finally able to, you know, enter the building again, cause my library was um, closed to the public until the last week of July and they had been doing like contactless loans right. which is not the same thing just so we're clear it's not <laughs> you can't go in you can't browse and like I understand there's the risks and there's you know just a bunch of things to consider I'm yeah. not and you know I didn't and before I get into it really I didn't mean to say that I feel safe in that I'm gonna go in and lick the pages or touch the ceiling or like lick you know what I mean like so well, what you mean, honey? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I so that so that um, that article came out, um, and usually if like an article that I've written, especially with Book Riot, because Book Riot has a significant following, if if it's you know getting a good amount of shares and or you know retweets whatever on social media. Um, usually I can hear about it because if someone tweets out the link and they've liked it, they usually tag me and I see it and people comment and whatever. Yeah. So none of that was really happening and that's just fine. You know, that doesn't have to happen every single time and half the time it's actually easier when that doesn't happen because I kind of feel like everyone's watching me when it gets a lot of retweets. For sure, which is <laughs> awesome. So, you know, it came out, I tweeted, I tweeted the link in the mo out in the morning just that's what I do when I, whenever I've written something. It's like, here's the link if, if you want to read it. And I feel and like it's that's still also uncomfortable for me because it's like shameless self-promotion. You know, it's like, here, I wrote this. Read it. Yeah, we're both very uncomfortable with that, I feel like. And I've gotten better in the last year, but it's still like dep and depending on how personal the thing that I've written is, I'm like, OK, I wrote this thing um, about my weird problems. So if you want to read it, here it is. Well, listen, it's the same thing for me coming on here and talking about my father, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, obviously, I felt comfortable enough to write this and submit it to an actual publication. Yeah. It's just like when it comes out and it's there, it's like, okay, great, you can read it. Anyway. Yeah, it's different. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that. And then I was at work that afternoon and I was, you know, I was um, I was the cashier that day and so there was nothing much to do. And so I was just, I was scrolling through Twitter and I had seen like the link that, that the Book Riot account had tweeted out and there was a comment, just one, saying like, I understand this is one author's perspective but safe is not a word I'd use to describe the library right now. And the, that one tweet had gotten like 17 likes or something, which mm -hmm. meant, you know, people obviously agree with that. Right. So I, I just figured that was one comment, you know, and I, and I saw people were engaging with that one comment. So I'm like, okay, I can, I'll just, I'm, I'm going to like tweet that person just to say like, I didn't intend to gloss over that fact that, you know, librarians are putting themselves at risk by working during a pandemic. Like, I didn't personally mention that in my article because at the risk of sounding selfish, the article was about me, not you. <laughs> um, so I just, you know, I just reading that comment, I was like, okay, yeah, I get it. You know, a lot of librarians read Book Riot 
I'm running with the library. I didn't really mention the fact that, you know, librarians are taking a risk by working during a pandemic. So right. I said, like, you know, hi, I wrote this article. I just wanted to say that I, you know, didn't intend to gloss over librarian safety. Um, and, you know, that at my library, the safety of the staff is put above anything else. Mm-hmm. And so that person didn't answer. But then a bunch of other, peop- other people answered, including one um troll I guess I'll call her even though she's not really a troll but there's no there's no other real word to describe her and she just kept going on about how you know it's just not safe if uh, it's not safe at the library in general if people are being let in during a pandemic because um, it's just we're putting the the staff at risk and you know there's just touching and germs and whatever and like just the general risk of going out during a pandemic like it it can be summarized as it's not safe anywhere. You have to be cautious. Right. So I didn't really like it. At this point, I said that one tweet. I was like, okay, you, you people just get your get your heads out of your ass. Like, do whatever you want. I don't care. Um, and then only later, and I texted you and I said, like, librarians are commenting on my article saying, like, you know, oh, safe is not a word they use to describe the library right now. And it's like. I have the, I have the um, text, our text thread, and I think it's important Yes, please read it. Um, yeah, I think it's important to go back because when I say I have a unique perspective on this, um, is because I am a librarian. Yeah, <laughs> Eleni is also a librarian, so like we're on the same page, I think. Um, not only is Eleni a librarian, um, Eleni is a librarian who um, worked in a very underprivileged community, mm-hmm. um, one of the poorest in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. Um, so I have our, our text here. Um, so basically, where is it? Hold on. Um, we said a lot of stuff this day. <laughs> so sc- scroll up to the first one that I sent you the day before. Yeah, well, people keep commenting on my latest Book Riot article about how safe isn't a word they'd use to describe the library right now. And they're definitely all Americans. <laughs> Um, and the reason we say that, by the way, is because, well, do you want to, do you want to? Yeah, so the, the issue. On this as well, but do you want to say what you meant by that? Yeah, so the issue that, that I was noticing is that um, 99% of the librarians who were commenting on this article about how, you know, apparently insensitive it was or the fact that I did gloss over librarian safety by claiming that I feel safe at the library etc um they're they were all American and it's important to acknowledge that you know the pandemic has never been under control in the United States the pandemic is still raging out of control as we speak there and um all of these librarians were coming from that perspective and unfortunately or even fortunately, actually, because I'm not in the same situation. So fortunately, um, I don't live in the United States. I'm not American. I'm Canadian. So in my community, in my country, um, we are handling it a bit better than yours. And just so you know, other countries exist and other perspective exists other than your American one. So the thing is, um, the first tweet that I sent you Mm -hmm. was a lady saying in the wake of the book riot article about the author feeling safe at the, at the library during a pandemic, I want to try to describe what it is like being a library worker during a pandemic using something we all understand to not always be safe knives. Yeah. So you and I kind of had this conversation mm-hmm. 
Um, and that thread went semi-viral. Yes. Uh, you and I had this conversation. This sounds to me like a person who just doesn't feel safe in her job. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily directed at you. I no. think it's more of a description of what she's going through at her job right now. Yeah. So uh, the thing is... Sorry, because the thread kind of goes on to say, like, her boss, like, she talks about management who, like, locks themselves away in the office and doesn't really know about, like, her perspective. So that sounds like more of a problem that she's having at her job, right? Yeah, exactly. So I think that one you and I both, like, didn't take personally. <laughs> as no, actually, I, I didn't actually know until you sent me the screenshot that there, that there was a semi-viral Twitter thread inspired by something that I wrote. Yeah. And so I read it and I'm like, just upon first glance, I'm like, hey, this, this isn't about me because no, like, exactly. I think we've, I think we've all seen, you know, viral threads on social media calling somebody out and it gets pretty nasty. And yeah. uh, none of that was really directed at me. It was more about the fact that like, there is this article that somebody wrote. And while we're on that topic, I'm going to talk about how shitty it's going for me in my library job. Yeah. So I don't know about you, but when I, when I read it, it was more like, okay, she's, she's clearly having a problem with like management at her job. She doesn't feel comfortable telling management at her job that they're not keeping her safe. And this is nothing to do with Jeffrey's article, but it's like, like you said, here's the opportunity for us to talk about what's going on. Um, the post that I think we both had a problem with was from said troll, not, so not the person who who wrote the thread, but someone else who tweeted me in response to the link. Yeah. So do you want me to read it or? Yes, please. So this person was commenting. So library journal also posted something. Mm hmm. They, um, they they tweeted the link to my article. Yeah, so they tweeted the link to your article, but they also posted um, why the library is still the only place I feel safe even during a pandemic book riot. But then they posted something else, which for some reason I can't see. But anyways, um, anyways, they posted something else. But the main thing they posted was they tweeted the the link to the article. Um, so this person wrote, librarians have adapted to offer as many books and services as we did pre-pandemic. My workplace being a safe space for you is why I'm a librarian, but not during a pandemic. Your mental health shouldn't come before my life. This is what privilege looks like. So. There's a lot to unpack here. Yeah, so there's a lot to unpack here. Number one, if you read the article, nowhere does Jeffrey say that his mental health comes before your life. Like nowhere. That was like not, not even a little, bit. not even a little bit. Um, so I think that's what I was more pissed off about. Mm-hmm. I'm really upset by the fact that this person is. It's one thing to say like have a healthy conversation, say here's why I don't agree. Yeah. And then it's it's like the balls on you to say that you said your mental health is more important than her life. Which I never once implied, as you said, but also like just looking back and because, you know, I, I overthought this for like at least five days after. Yeah. My essay slash article, whatever you want to call it, um, it was mostly about me and my mental health and how I have OCD and I have anxiety. And I'm talking about how the pandemic has affected me and my life and going to the library. Like even when I was writing it, I was actually thinking like this, like the editors might actually ask me to do a re- to do rewrites because I'm not focusing enough on books and the library, which right. they didn't, thankfully. But like I, as I was writing it, I'm like, I think this is focusing too much on me and my mental health and not enough about books. Yeah. And so looking back, I'm going to say about 90% of the article is about me and my mental health. And then the other 10% is how 
I'm how lucky I feel to be able to go back to the library. Yeah. Um, and then she also tweeted, there are no libraries without librarians. Hashtag library Twitter. Like what? Um, e- and uh, can I just say, it's always these people with 51 followers who want to fight. Okay, relax. <laughs> um, um, also her, her, this is what privilege looks like. There are so many, oh God, I can't even. But there are so many other like things we should be focusing on right now. That. In regards to privilege is what I'm saying that like this doesn't even come close. But yeah, so for me, it was more like the audacity of this person to sit there and say that you said something which you did not. Um, So that to me was like, fuck you. Um, And then a lot to unpack because I want to talk from the perspective of a librarian. Mm-hmm. When she says libraries have adapted to offer as many books books and services digitally as we did pre-pandemic. Um, so here's the thing that I want to talk about about libraries. So libraries tend to serve people um, that need, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but libraries tend to serve people that need it the most, kind of, you know? Like libraries... In my own work as a public librarian, I've seen people who don't have internet coming to, um, you know, apply for unemployment benefits. I've seen teenagers come in because they don't feel safe at home. Mm-hmm. I've seen single moms come in because they need a break and somebody can do story time with their child. Yeah. I, You know what I mean? Like, I've seen all kinds of people that 100% it is... Um, you know, it's our privilege to serve. You know, this is what libraries at their best do. But the thing is, so libraries being a safe space, like you said, maybe not in the same context as these examples that I've given for you. No. But libraries being a safe space has always been a thing. Exactly. Um, It's it's for underprivileged, underserved communities. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying like, I don't use the library. Like, I, of course, I, I use the library. But libraries at their core, public libraries, and speak to any public librarian and she'll tell you this. Um, we love it the most when we know that we're really making a difference, not just by somebody coming in and picking books. Obviously, that makes us happy. But if I can help somebody, um, you know, apply for disability benefits, mm-hmm. um, do it with them on the Internet. Uh, we ran a tax clinic for under uh, underserved populations at my public library. If we can help them do that, think about quarantine. Think about how many people are stuck inside at quarantine uh, who need like DVDs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like who yeah. don't need any DVDs. You know, these may seem like trivial things, but they're the things that librarians we focus on, right? Exactly. So her, I understand that safe is not what she would use to describe the library but safe is a word that a lot of people in these communities would use to to describe the library exactly and i don't think and like looking back again the way that i implied the word safe yeah i was was implying it more in the sense that you're talking about like in terms of like the safety of books the safety of like yeah you use a safe space not like you're not going to get the coronavirus at the library and I think a lot of the librarians, the American, again, librarians, who um, had who took a lot of issue with with my article, were interpreting the headline as if I'm saying the library, the li- being at the library makes me immune to Corona. Which no, <laughs> nobody has ever said that. 
And that's never what like and the like the the, man, the managing editor who who uh, made an edit that I asked her to um, include at the end of my article because I was not going to be dealing with comments for the rest of the the week. Um, she even said that from her perspective, a lot of times what happens with the comments like these is that they're they object to the headline and they go on a rant without actually having read the article. Right. Which is clearly what happened here. Yes. And, and clearly why she put the word safe in quotation marks, because she didn't get it. <laughs> yeah. And so the I found the tweet that she um, wrote in reply to the, the first tweet that I wrote to someone else. Because right. you know, we're, we're just going to butt in where we, where, we, where we weren't asked. And she wrote, I appreciate you talking openly about your mental health. That is not easy. However, we simply can't say that we're putting librarians safety first when we're allowing the public in the building. We're here 40 plus hours a week. You're here for maybe 30 minutes. Um, okay. First of all, bitch. No. <laughs> you're implying that um, we live in the same place, we're in the same situation, we have the same perspective, which we don't. Um, so in response to that, I wrote, I don't think I ever once implied that my mental health should come before librarians' lives, which we've already said. And also, not sure if you're aware, but other countries outside of the United States do exist, and they've been handling the pandemic much better than your leaders have. Yeah. Which need, which need to be said. It needed to, yeah. And I also wrote in re in response to her first her other tweet that you wrote about uh, you read um, about her saying that this is what this is what privilege looks like. Um, if you've read the article, which I'm sure a bunch of you are going to do after the, hearing this rant, um, I actually mentioned in the last paragraph, um, like I acknowledge my own privilege in being able to say what I said. Exactly. And so in response to that tweet, I wrote. Additionally, I find it very interesting that you refer to me as privileged. I am indeed privileged, as I pointed out in my essay, but don't you think that blindly assuming your American perspective is the only perspective is even more privileged? Yeah. Because I think that's the bigger issue here, is that Americans on the internet like to make everything about them and assume everything is written for and about them. Which okay, I'm going I'm to be a little bit nicer than Jeffrey. Which, sweeties, it's not, okay? So just take a deep breath and go for a walk and leave me alone, okay? Cool. Okay, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say that this is a really stressful time for people in the States right now. Which I acknowledge, however. No, not I, my problem. I never said you didn't acknowledge, let's be honest. Don't don't turn it on me, girl. Okay. <laughs> um, no, no, we, we all acknowledge this. Um, but the thing is, is that you're directing your anger towards the wrong people. Yeah, exactly. Um, where you should be directing your anger at your poor leadership who doesn't think that 8,000 new cases a day is alarming. Mm -hmm. Just to give you a comparison, guys, Canada yesterday had 200 new cases. In and total, in, in our entire country. All of Canada, okay? Um, and we're not, like, taking our eye off the ball. And so you should be directing your anger elsewhere, but instead you take issue with an article that's being really, if you allow me, like being vulnerable and saying like, this pandemic has been hard on me. The library is where I feel safe. Like something as innocent as that and you're turning it into a crazy thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
So I'm going to say that I understand. I would also be very stressed <laughs> if I knew that my leadership was doing sweet fuck all mm-hmm. and didn't care about my well-being. Um, but I feel like your time would be better spent, like your energy would be better spent like airing your grievances about other people and elsewhere. Yeah, because like like you said, it's a stressful time and when people are stressed, they kind of, you know, m- like misdirect their anger, shall I say. Mm-hmm. And not to say that you're not allowed to have whatever reaction you want to something you've read on the internet. Of course not. But at the same time, like the biggest issue I have is not that librarians in the United States are having a hard time. Like I understand that and I sympathize that your leadership is screwing you over. Like yeah. I'm that's very unfortunate. But like don't come at me and make the, like make it seem like I'm the enemy when I don't live in the United States. My my and my experience pandemic is probably a little different than yours. Yeah. So maybe you want to like check yourself first before you go on Twitter and start ranting at people and making it seem like everyone everyone shares the same American perspective as you. Yeah. Um, and with that, I think we should actually start talking about Gilmore Girls. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> we're only 45 minutes into the episode. Yes. Were you here for Gilmore Girls? I forgot. Did you want to talk about that? Okay, cool. To be fair, my story was Gilmore Girls related. Okay, well, I had something important to share, did I not? That's not to say I don't think your share was important. I think <laughs> everyone needed to hear it. Um, oh, but last thing before we 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 move on. Um, maybe these people don't listen to the podcast, which is for sure a very big possibility. But um, we have been taking this seriously since day one. Yes. So to imply, like, we're very big on masks and we post, stuff all the time about social distancing and we talked to you guys about getting blocked by somebody who thought this was all a hoax like so to imply that we're not concerned with safety is really shitty and also insulting uh insulting yeah but also it just goes to show you that like maybe you don't know what's going on in the rest of the world Mm -hmm. um and that's not me trying to insult you, but I think that maybe you guys should take a step back and see, like, what your neighbors are doing. <laughs> All this to say, like, you should want better for yourselves. Yes. 100%. Biden-Harris 2020. Okay, let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's go. So we're, we're discussing episode 10, That'll Do, Pig. Yes. Um, and in this episode... Gran makes a reappearance. Can I just say, fuck Gran. I hate her so much this time around. Like, I didn't actually have such a passionate opinion about her before, but since, like, having to watch her analysis, I'm like, ugh. Honestly, like, the first time we see Gran in uh, season season one? Yeah, season one. Season one, it's all very, like, ha-ha, like, she makes Emily squirm, whatever. Now I'm just over it. Oh, yeah, I'm like, sure. you're a terrible person. Especially since knowing later that, em- like, when she dies, Emily finds that letter. Yeah, but I mean, even now, it's just really hard to watch her talk to somebody like that. And, like, nobody does anything. But that's the thing. My my biggest issue in this, in this episode in particular was how... So, like, they're at the birthday party. We'll skip ahead. <laughs> Why not? We do that anyways. Um... 
they're at the birthday party and I wrote down in my notes like you can see how much love Richard and Emily have for each other and it's so sweet mm-hmm. like it's real love and then his mother comes <laughs> and I just I don't understand how he lets her talk to his wife like that it's almost like and I think um there's been uh, other times where Emily is kind of like signal to Rich- signal to Richard that his mother treats her like shit and he, yeah. he he's he's kind of like willfully oblivious in a way that doesn't really make sense because it's like yeah he's I don't know if he like doesn't see it or he's like oh what like kind of in my family like when somebody's terrible they're like oh she's old what are you gonna do as if that's like some kind of excuse yeah and you're like okay but is nobody seeing this shit (laughs) um so yeah I I agree with you that the more time goes on the more I'm like shut the fuck up girl I don't want to push you down the stairs and like I, I would, I would go on a limb and say that Marion Ross, the actress, is a national treasure, and I love her very much. Oh, absolutely. But like in this role, I want to punch her. Yeah, for sure. But that's the mark of a good actress, right? Yes, Let's for sure. Um, if you can make me hate you, like in a role that you're playing, you're doing good, sweetie. Considering like, if you even compare Grand to Mrs. Cunningham for even a second, it's like. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. I know. Um. But yeah, so fuck Gren. <laughs> yes. Um, so this episode is all about the Winter Carnival. Yes. And um, kind of like a closure episode, shall we say? And a closure episode, but also one that um, perpetuates a certain narrative that I've mentioned that I take issue with. Yes, I know. I was gonna hand the ball over to you because I was in like, season, it's specifically in season three. Yeah, so um, let's do this chronologically because I feel like we're going to lose our fucking minds. Um, So um, let's start with Paris. Okay. In math class. Who didn't pay attention, didn't take any notes. So me basically in math class. Yes. Um, (laughs) And can I just say I'm very happy. I love that Paris is finally being a real teenager. And and it's so brief too. I know, but, like, I love that she's, like, zoning out and, like, daydreaming about her boyfriend. Like, oh, you go, Paris. Like, yeah. it's a long time coming. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. So, I kind of love that storyline for her. Mm-hmm. Like, they sound, it's, it's like, on the one hand, I understand why they don't, like, why they didn't do more of that story on screen. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, the more, the more that I rewatch, I'm like, I want to see this relationship. <laughs> Yeah, like, listen, you get it. It's, like, not the focus of the show. But I also, when she started talking about her Christmas at her boyfriend, Jamie's parents' house, Mm -hmm. I was like, I want to see Paris in love. Yeah. Like, not just the, like, I zoned out in love. I want to see the actual love. Yeah, exactly. It's something, like, it's it's one of those things where you're, like, you want that for the character. Mm -hmm. You know? You want to see them um, grow that way, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's all that to say that I really love that they they at least showed something. They showed her being like getting excited about her relationship and that he told her he loved her. And it was very it was all a very sweet moment. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, and then Francie fucking ruined it. Speaking of people I want to punch, I think I think Gran and then Francie. Like, fuck off, Francie. And, like, just, the, like, the character is so, like, vicious and vindictive. And it's, like, it just makes, it like, oh, just such a bully. It makes me want to 
kicker. The thing is, my problem with it is that I don't understand it. Meaning, I don't understand what her beef is with Paris. I think she just doesn't like how much of a control freak and a bot and like how bossy Paris is. And so she kind of wants to just like tear her down. Like she's a bully. Like she wants to tear her down yeah, just because no, I, she takes I mean, the attention. But that's it. It's like you're being a bully just to be a bully. I thought we were past that. Yeah. <laughs> It's different if, like, she did something to you. You know what I mean? Like, that's why I think I struggle with this part of the season. Because I'm like, there's nothing there. No, but I do love how Rory pulls her into the bathroom like she did Oh, I fucking love it. I love it. It's like, oh, no, I'm talking now? Okay, good. Yeah. She's like, can I leave now? The door's right there. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I love that, yeah. Um... Okay, well, whatever. I like that little glimpse into the Chilton world, but it's just, it's a little odd for me because I'm always like, I always struggle to find out the reason of why. It's just like in the first season or in the second season where like Paris still hated her even though Tristan was gone. Mm-hmm. And you're like, there needs to be a better reason. Yeah, and can I just say, I think I think in, in another world or another universe, um, Gilmore Girls could have been a show where Rory was at Chilton for like the entire run of the show. Yeah. And I'm glad that, that it's it, it was only like the first three seasons because I think just like based on the demographic, um, like you grow like you, you, you got to grow with Rory, like experience a bit of high school and then experience a bit of college in real life. Because I think if it had been just her at a, at Chilton private school for the entire show, I yeah. would I don't think I would still resonate as much with grown adults. The thing is, this is this is kind of weird because um, some shows really struggle to make that transition. Yeah. So some shows really struggle to make that transition between high school drama and then mm-hmm. when the characters grow up and inevitably have to go to college, they really struggle with the writing. They struggle because it's always meant to be a teen show, right? I think One Tree Hill kind of had that issue. One Tree Hill had that issue. My my babes in the OC had that issue. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Like, a lot of... Gossip Girl had that issue. Like, a lot of shows... Yeah, a lot of shows are just meant to be high school shows. And that's okay, by the way. Um, But I think this is something that Gilmore Girls did really well, and we don't give them enough credit for doing very well. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I'm sure, like, when Rory graduated, a lot of people like me were thinking, well, how is it going to go now that she's... I I don't know about you, but I was a little nervous for them when um season three ended and not just nervous for them but it was more like what are they gonna do now you know i was like the direction the show was gonna take it was for sure yeah no there was for sure gonna be a shift at the end of season three because you're thinking oh she's going to college so that dynamic between her and lorelei is not going to be there anymore and like paris and madeline louis like you know so you're 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 kind of doubting it sometimes Mm -hmm. but i think something that they did really really well and like you said, it's it was needed because you grow with the show. Yeah. And it was like then like that's that was like a good decision I think they made in the end. Obviously because you knew from season one that like Rory wants to go to Harvard and so you're you like you like they wanted you to see that college journey. Yeah. But at the same time, I think that was also like the best decision they could have made for the premise of the show because obviously I think the show would have still resonated in terms of the mother daughter dynamic, but mm-hmm. like I think the enduring, um, like the enduring qualities in Rory still resonate today because she, like, like you said, we get to grow with her and you get to see like the high school, 
perspective and then like watch her actually tackle real like the real world later even though that doesn't really work out for her but no but spoilies (laughs) Um, so um dean shows up at the house of course because he never leaves okay relax (laughs) dean shows up at the house to give rory a box of stuff it has to kill a spider because you know we can't kill our own spiders no it's very spiders are very scary um (laughs) Uh, that was an awkward moment. Between Lorelai and Dean? Because, between Dean and Rory, but I think it's made more awkward by the fact that Lorelai's so good with Dean. Yeah, which we've also taken issue with. Yeah, which I said before I'm, I, I'm bugged about, but I'm not going to say it again. Um, my issue is more like, why is Rory, like, pouting? It's, like, this is what I hate most about season three, and this is why when you asked me at at the beginning of this season if I would agree that season three is the best, this is Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why I don't agree with that. Okay. Just because I don't like, um, and especially now that we've discussed how toxic Dean is, I just don't like how, A, the, the, um, what's the word? Can't speak today, or ever. Um, Like, (laughs) the show works over time, at perpetuating this narrative where, oh, well, Dean was the better boyfriend because Dean, you know, cared and showed up and took me places and blah. Um, Even though we're not going to, you know, dissect his toxic traits. Yeah. And But it it also, like I said before, just doesn't give Jess uh, any chance to be considered another another kind of boyfriend. Um, But what I just don't like more than that is just how... What, Rory is how old at this point? 17? And you are, what, you want to be friends with your ex? Like, you're 37 years old? And it's like, we can still be friends. Like, this is not, you know, 30-something. This is Gilmore Girls. And you don't have to, you're a teenager, you don't have to stay friends with the guy you dated for two years. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, listen, I completely understand. But I think the, I think it's a little bit more complicated than that in this scenario. Because like she says, it is a small town. Mm-hmm. Um, it's inevitable that they run into each other because everyone's in everyone's business. Like, yes, but you also don't have to, like, be buddy-buddy. And- yes, no, listen, I agree. Because what I was about to say, sir, <laughs> was that you can just not... I think part of it is also Rory wanting to be, like, very amenable and wanting people to like her and not wanting to hurt anyone. Yes, for it's sure. Both personality traits coming through more than the, well, we have to see each other because we're in a small town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like you can, you can make nice and like, you know, not be scared of seeing each other, but you also don't have to be freaking friends with your ex. Well, like you said, that's you're it. 17. Yeah. There's like a fine balance between like, yo, are we good? Yeah. Okay. But you don't have to hang out at the winter carnival together or go get pie together. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's just like, weird. It's just, it's just of- weird. Yeah, you could be the type of exes that see each other in doses and like, hey, hey, whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. So I understand your frustration because I share in it. Um, <laughs> can we talk about the way Jess kind of refuses to do anything? Yes, I suppose. So I think a lot of people take issue, because I've seen this like floating around in the fandom. A lot of people take issue with the line that he says and he's like, where she's telling him, well, you went to the dance marathon and the bit of baskets. And he says, 
well, that was when I was trying to get you. Now I have you. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people take issue with the fact that now that he has her, as he says, um, he doesn't have to put, he feels that he doesn't have to put any effort in. Yes, obviously that is problematic. A little problematic, you got to admit. I know how much you love Jess. I love Jess too, but that's problematic. Yes, for sure. Like that that in itself, obviously not a good thing to say to your girlfriend. Yeah, but um, also not to think either. Like if you think that you, you don't have to, like if you think a relationship is just like going and making out on the couch... Yes. Uh, it's a little bit weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I get and that, so, like that he's like a loner and he doesn't like stuff and he'd just be content and talking about books. But I mean, if your girlfriend or your boyfriend, by the way, this is for everything. If your significant other wants to go and do something, it's fine if you don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. But like, you, there's, it's like give and take in a relationship, right? Yeah. And like, that's I'm the issue. expert, even though like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's the issue too, because we've also talked about how, like, the girl that Jess was seeing before, the, his entire relationship was just making out, right? Yeah, exactly. Or and hiding treating, her. Yes, and treating her like shit and not, get, you know, not caring because it's just whatever. Yeah. I think what I would have liked to have seen more out of season three is less, uh, is less of, like, Rory doubting Jess and, like, um, doubting whether or not she should have stayed with Dean. Because I feel like that that's, like... If we look at just Rory's perspective, it's like her seeing how Jess is lacking in these areas as a boyfriend, whereas Dean wasn't. Yeah. And et cetera, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Like, just Rory constantly being like, oh, well, you know, Jess does this, but Jess doesn't do that. And I feel like we could have had a little bit of that, but maybe also a bit more of Jess trying to learn and grow and think and, see, and like, learn for himself. Like, oh, yeah, you know, maybe I should stop doing that. Maybe I should put more effort in here rather than just this ridiculous, you know, um, Dean, Rory, Jess triangle that basically takes place right up until the end of the season. Yeah. So I think I, I completely agree with you. Don't get me wrong, but I think it's normal. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, when you've been with somebody for over two years to then compare, not compare, but like, because we've talked about the fact that Rory felt quote unquote safe. That's going to be the word for this episode. Um, but like felt safe because I guess the word is more comfortable with Dean because they'd been together for so long. Yeah. So, so having to adjust her expectations to another boyfriend and constantly comparing the two, I think is normal to a certain extent, but I agree. I don't like the way it was dragged out and her constantly like thinking the worst of Jess because she had supposedly this great example in Dean. Which we both know that Dean was not great. Yeah, but I mean, she never comes to that realization, so whatever. Even later, after he treats her like, like, after they get back together, like, in seasons four and five, and he Mm -hmm. still treats her like shit. Yeah. So it's still kind of, she still, like, thinks it's all her fault. Yeah, I know. Um, I don't know. So I get where you're coming from, but I also get where the fandom comes from, where the anti-Jess people come from, where he's like... Yeah, I'm not going to put in any effort. I'll meet you at nine so that we can go make out, and that's fine. Like, for sure, yes. I'm not saying that, like, that's, you know, a healthy approach to a relationship. But at the same time, I would have preferred, like, a little less. Like, I mean, obviously, what you said about her and and Dean being together for two years, like, obviously, you're going to compare, especially when you're a teenager. But, like, I would have preferred, like, some of that, but less of that and more of, hey, let's see if Jess can, you know improve himself while being with Rory and 
a little more of that. You know what I mean? Well, listen, I've, I think I've said it before, and if I, I haven't, uh, I'm saying it now. I think the reason Jess was kind of stunted in his character growth was mm-hmm. because he was always expecting people to expect the worst out of him. True. So I think the reason, let's be honest, he was also like a sullen teenager who had a really rough go of things and his mother didn't love him. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like, I think the reason he didn't grow as much as we would have liked in season three is because there were unrealistic expectations put on him. For sure. Um, because everyone kept reminding him that he was like living in Dean's shadow. That and the fact that, you know, like you said, no no one really loved him or showed him yeah, that's, uh, the love that he deserves. Yeah, for sure. Um, but can we can we can we talk about something else that yes. I really like? Really need to get off my chest right now. <laughs> Clara is literally the most annoying fucking character this show has ever seen. Okay, can I share with you what I wrote about Clara in my notes? Please do. So Clara looks like she's at least nine or ten years old. Mm-hmm. Why does she act like she's six? Yeah, well, that. Like, I'm sorry, the actress playing this role, she looks at least 10 years old, if not maybe even older. And if mm-hmm. not, she's she's very tall for her age at this point, in my opinion. Yeah. But she acts like she's six, and it's not cute. Honestly, she is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> but I have to say, it gets some of the best lines. Like, Jess gets some of the best lines of the show for his interactions. Yeah. Does this belong to you? Yeah, that is my favorite. <laughs> and I often also say that when I'm talking about children to their adults. <laughs> I uh, actually say that I actually say that to my mom about my dad sometimes because sometimes yeah. when he's sitting when he's sitting in the chair in our living room and he's like snoring louder than the television, we'll like pause whatever we're watching and I'll turn and I'll like point and I'll be like, Does this belong to you? Like take him, please. <laughs> yes, like make it stop. <laughs> yeah, you know, no. So um I 100% think she is terrible. Mm-hmm. I don't think we see, we do see her again um, in season five. Very yeah. good. Um, and this, she's actually an Avril Lavigne fan in season five. Yeah, so gets points from Jeffrey there. <laughs> and, um, I think this is the most, the, the most line she's ever had. And thank fuck, because this is, well, I can't, I can't, I can't. Um, oh, no, I agree for sure. Yeah, so whatever. Um, but I, I will say this about Jess. If that were, if the roles were reversed and that were Dean, mm-hmm. he would have yelled at her really hard. Yes. Jess. But also, yeah, go ahead. But also, like, for sure, 100%. But at the same time, I feel like this is also just a situation that the writers dreamed up to, like, egg Jess on. Because, like, you know that Jess is not going to be doing well with children, even though she's, like, 10 years old and shouldn't be acting like she's six. But no, no, I mean, what I mean, sorry, I didn't phrase properly. What I mean is, in that scenario, if Dean and Rory were still dating, mm-hmm. and they happened to run into Jess, and Jess is like, all a comp- like, and Dean would have been like, have you guys been talking? Like, he would have been yelling at her about, like, are you talking to him behind my back and whatever. Whereas Jess in this scenario was just like, anything you want to tell me? And she's like, yeah, we went and had, like, fucking custard pie, and we're talking, and no, no, no. She's like, you're really not mad? And he's like, no, I'm not mad. You're right. I, I actually, I didn't even consider that, because... So that, to me, shows way more maturity on Jess's part than Dean will ever have. Like, I'm not going to say Jess wasn't jealous when she told him that, but, like, at least he was like, no, it's fine. You know, like, I'm not, I'm not going to take my anger out on you. 
yeah, listen, he was 100% jealous. Anyone could see that, right? Yeah. But he was like, no, just throw the ball. It's fine. I just wanted to know, blah, blah, blah. And that's the way you handle shit as an adult. If the roles were reversed, well, the roles were reversed, right, in season two when Jess came over. Mm-hmm. And Dean was just screaming bloody murder. Yes. So there's a way to interact with people, right? Yeah. And there's I feel like as we as we discuss Gilmore Girls more and more, like, you know that, like, you know the way Dean reacts in anger is not healthy. No, not at all. He's very hot-headed. And some could argue that Jess is also very hot-headed. But in, but but in different ways. Yeah, but there's ways like this where you're just like, he was 100% the bigger person. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so as much as we say sometimes that, you know, Jess has a lot of growing up to do, in some ways he is better um, at communication than Dean ever was. Mm-hmm. In other ways, like, he fails miserably, but whatever. Yeah, no, you can't like you like you can compare in some ways, and in other ways, you just can't because like Dean, Dean has traits that Jess just didn't. Yeah, for sure. No, no, I completely agree. Um, yeah, so that was that was something that stood out to me. Um, let's talk about Emily and Gran and the whole like I'm coming to visit your house thing. And we're going to dinner at the Dragonfly, and I must be served my courses in 12-minute increments. I assume you mean the Independence Inn. Oh, what did I say? You said the Dragonfly. Bad, Lenny. Yes, we are not. The Dragonfly is not yet a thing. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The Independence Inn, excuse me. It's because I recently watched it. It has not burned down yet. Not yet. I recently watched a season six episode. That's why. (laughs) (laughs) Um... So, you know that piece of advice that Lorelai gives Emily about how you kind of got to get a, like, have a defense mechanism? Mm Mm-hmm. That's really valuable advice. And I think... For a lot of people. (laughs) And I think, like, there's also times where I'm mad that, like, Lorelai doesn't stand up to Gran for her mother, but I also kind of get it because, like, Lorelai just is too entertained by the fact that the way that, like, the way that Emily is to her, someone else is that way to Emily. Oh, for sure. I don't think, but also I, I don't think it's Emily's place to, uh, Emily. I don't think it's Lorelai's place to step in. I think your husband should be doing that. Yeah, which he doesn't really. Which he ever. really doesn't. And it's really the only times in the series where I'm really, really mad at Richard. One of the few times, I should say. But, mm-hmm. um, but no, I agree with you. I think it's more because, like, Lorelai's sitting back and saying, ha like, you get somebody, as much as you stress me and, like, nag me, somebody's doing that to you, and it's kind of payback. Mm-hmm. Um, but that tidbit, that, like, tip that Lorelai gives Emily, like, you need to find a defense mechanism to deal with this shit. Ah, so valuable for life in yeah. general. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying, like, get pleasure from the fact that other people are nagging you. But no. you, need to, you need to find a way to sometimes let things roll off your back. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it be like my little rage scribbling or which we've talked about on the show before <laughs> or like yelling into my notes app or like something so that you don't get worked up. Because I will say this, if Emily, if Lorelai got worked up the way Emily does every time her, her mother-in-law like gives a little jab. Mm hmm. It would be chaos, right? Yeah, and like you, you also know that like Emily is not the kind of 
um, like it's not what like to she's not the kind of person who would just blow up like that all the time in front mm-hmm. of like in front of people whose opinions she cares about I guess because she's like that wouldn't be like ladylike behavior of course yeah but I mean I think in life in general mm-hmm. um, my tip to everyone <laughs> is like know when your energy is needed yeah like know when something is worth fighting over because that, at the end of the day you're going to be exhausted if every little thing is pers- like taken as a slight you know yeah and I also, I also think that, that that's the reason why emily doesn't really ever just come out and say anything because she like she wants to respect her husband i think but at the same time it's like how can you respect a woman who constantly like degrades you yeah exactly so oh don't get me wrong i definitely think emily should have expanded energy in a lot of these scenarios but i think like from my own perspective like my grandmother shoots out these comments like oh i wish i had like 10 grandkids and they were all boys you know if i what she actually says that yeah yeah for sure if i got mad every time my grandmother said a stupid comment like that Oh, my God, I'd be living under my weighted blanket all the fucking time. And I already do enough of that. So, like, there's just... And listen, I'm not perfect. Sometimes it bothers me. Just, like, I'm sure, you know, like, you can't help but be bothered. Like, Emily's always bothered because her mother-in-law says really shitty things to her, right? I would smack her. Yeah, I know. Sometimes you want to. But <laughs> my my advice to everyone is just, like, choose your battles. For sure. Definitely. Like, just choose your battles. It's, it's going to be better for you in the long run. Don't but I do like, um, I do like how uh, she says when uh, they had like their twelve minutes to eat their courses in the at the meal, she's like, "I'm not done." Yeah. You had your twelve minutes. I'm not done. Exactly. No, I love it. I'm like, like that's, yeah, that's the kind of petty bullshit that I would engage in. One hundred percent. If I taking <laughs> all the shit that Emily Gilmore was taking, I'm gonna make you wait, girl. Yes hard so i, I also have, I, I also have to say that that the scene where they all follow gran around lorelei's house that must yeah. have been so fun to film i know right oh but honestly what was the point of that i have no idea i think they're like gran was just all of a sudden like oh my gosh i have to like looking around the house and just not saying anything but then they're all just kind of like expecting her to say something so they just keep following her around yeah but, I mean, she never says anything about it. She never, um, like, she never mentions, I don't know. She never mentions anything. No, and I think, like, Emily Emily stressing out over Lorelai's house was a bit uh, unnecessary. But you can see, like, the weight that it's taken on this poor woman. <laughs> having having this, this lady as a fucking mother-in-law. I don't know. I mean, if that was my mother-in-law, Jesus Christ. I'd get a divorce so fast, especially if my husband wasn't defending me. <laughs> I, on it, I'm being serious right now. This would be a big issue in my I, household. I think it, like, if you're, especially if your mother-in-law, like, lived locally and was, like, would drop by all the time and be like, What's bitch, defend me. Yeah, I think the fact that Richard, I think Emily can take it a little bit more only because she's, she lives overseas, right? Mm-hmm. But... If my mother lived locally and I had to see her all the time and she, like, fucking talked to me like that, my, my mother-in-law, woo, divorce. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. 
I get it. Like, as you can tell, I get enough of that shit from my own family. (laughs) I don't need it from the family I married into. Episode title, Woo! Divorced! (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Uh, (laughs) Anyways, anything else you wanted to say for this episode? I know we talk more about our lives, but fuck it. Yes, I have one lingering question to ask you. Please. Um, Going back to the beginning of the episode. um, What would Hungarians be doing in Stars Hollow, Connecticut? Also, oh my god, so funny you wrote that because I completely skipped over that in my notes. (laughs) I need somebody who speaks Hungarian to tell me what he said. (laughs) They were holding the busboy for ransom, like over (laughs) one word. (laughs) Pay the ransom and they'll give us back the (laughs) busboy. Yeah, all he had to say was welcome, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know what they're doing in Stars Hollow. But it's weird though because like you would think that a little like a little town in Connecticut wouldn't really see much foreign traffic. Yeah, it's true. Unless the only thing I could think of is like they had like business in Hartford. Maybe. And they wanted like a small idyllic hotel in like the countryside. Maybe. Even then like I'm probably like I'll probably sound ignorant saying this but like even Hungarians going to Hartford, Connecticut sounds to me like still still sounds random, you know? That's true. Um, but it makes for good television. <laughs> especially like. Yeah, go ahead. Especially just because you like you you would expect these kind of people in an inn run by Lorelai Gilmore. Of course, of course. I have a question for you now. Yes. In what universe would Richard Gilmore need a coin sorter? <laughs> that is the worst gift you could possibly give someone. No, I'm sorry. That or the scale. Imagine getting a scale for your birthday or as a gift for any occasion. If somebody got me a scale, if anyone in my family got me a scale, number one, I would take that as a slight. Woo, divorce. Woo, divorce. <laughs> <laughs> um, but seriously, a coin sorter? That's both of them. I think they're, I think like they're both bad, like in the same way. Yeah, but a coin sorter for a very rich man who probably has never carried cash on him ever. So true. I should say. <laughs> like, really? Like, anyway. wow, Lorelai, she didn't put in any, like, put in, like, so little thought. So, like, well, what, could I, what does my father I, want? A scale. Yeah, but that's what I was going to say. There's, like, not knowing your father, and then there's, like, just not putting any effort in. <laughs> I'm, I'm like I'm glad we we didn't get to see the the last gifts in the bag. She's like it lights up. No, no, no. Yeah, just don't. Just keep it in the bag, sweetheart. <laughs> Ugh. Anyways, um, so that's it for this week's episode. I think, right? Yes, I think we spent more time talking about and ranting about our lives than we did uh, talking about Gilmore Girls. But that's why you love us, right? Exactly. It's okay. Sometimes you gotta come for like the personal content. Yes. And if you don't like the personal content, I'm sorry, it's here to stay. Ciao. <laughs> um, at this point, we've done uh, two and a half seasons. So if you're not here for the personal content, you're long gone. So bye. Yeah, seriously. I, I figure, like, if you've stayed this long, it's because you actually like when we, when we ramble. <laughs> my, my sister-in-law recently, like, listened to a couple of episodes because she's not up to date. But, yeah. um, but she listened to a couple of episodes and she texts me. She's like... Why do you guys only get to Gilmore Girls like at minute 30? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know. Fuck it. (laughs) She's like, don't get me wrong. It's really fun. But like, why? (laughs) 
um, because it's our podcast. Exactly. We make the rules. Yes, it's our podcast, and we'll cry if we want to. Exactly. But today, uh, we only got to the episode like a minute 50, so. I think that's a a personal record for us. I think so. (laughs) You're all in for a treat. Uh, Where can they find us, Jeffrey? Um, They can follow us on Instagram at Gilmore Girls Podcast Mm -hmm. and on on Twitters at Gilmore Podcast. And if they want to send us an email... They can email us, gilmorepodcast at gmail.com. Yay. And um, feel free to tag Yannick Trudale. Yes. Or just tell him that you heard about a really nice podcast where he was really sweet and he made a difference in a little shy 11-year-old girl's life. Yes, please do. If you know him, tell us all about your experiences with him. Exactly. And uh, that's it for this week. We will see you next week. Yes, thank you for listening. Bye, guys.